Amen. Again, welcome this morning. We're glad that you're here. We're going to get into the message. I'm going to share one quick story that I found that I thought you might enjoy this week. It goes like this. One Easter, a priest and a taxi driver, they both died and went to heaven. And St. Peter was at the pearly gates waiting for them and said, come with me, St. Peter said to the, to the taxi driver. And the taxi driver did as he was told and he followed St. Peter to a mansion. It had everything you could possibly imagine, right? It had anything from a bowling alley to an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Oh my word, thank you, said the taxi driver. And next, St. Peter, he led the priest to a rough old shack with a bunk bed and a little old television set. The priest said, wait, I, I think you might got this mixed up. Shouldn't, shouldn't I be the one who gets the mansion? I, I was a priest. I, I went to church every day. I preached God's word. St. Peter said, yes, that's true. But during your Easter sermon, people slept. But when the taxi driver was driving, everyone, everyone prayed. And so I made sure in the first service, I don't know how theologically correct that is, okay? But uh, I made sure during the first service that no one slept, okay? I do not want a rough shack when I go to heaven, okay? I'm just going to be happy to be in heaven, but um, we are glad that you're here this morning. Hey, we're, we're finishing out our sermon series that we've been in the past three weeks, and it's been called Jesus Is. Jesus is. You know, we can, we can fill in that blank with a lot of things. Jesus is our power. He's our strength. But I think most importantly, we would say Jesus is access to God the Father. Jesus is access to heaven. Now, we believe there's a very real hell, and we believe there's a very real heaven. Jesus is the only way. He is the only access to God the Father. We started this series out of John chapter 14. When Thomas, one of the disciples, he asked the question of Jesus, how do we get to where you're going? How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus is the way. The Bible says narrow is the gate to life. It's narrow because Jesus is the only way. There's no other way to, to God the Father. Uh, we also said that Jesus is the fruitful way. If you want love and joy, peace in your life, Jesus is the only way to have those things. If you wanna be able to endure trials and, and hard times in your life, Jesus is the only way to get through things and overcome those things. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the truth. We said you have to trust the intentions of Jesus, trust the promises of Jesus, trust the freedom that only Jesus can give. And today we are appropriately finishing out this sermon series, Jesus is the way, the truth. Today we're looking at Jesus is the life. The sermon message this morning, it is entitled, This is the Life. This is the life. You probably said that before one time while you're taking your, your beach stuff and heading out and you get to sit down, maybe you got a nice cold Pepsi and you're seeing the waves and said, this, this is the life, right? Our world has a lot of different ideas of what our this is the life should look like. It tries to tell us what, how we can be successful by the world's eyes and we can be popular and have all the friends and the fame and the riches that we could possibly want. See, the world shows a this is the life, but a lot of times it's not attainable. And a lot of times it leaves us still wanting more, never really satisfied, never truly full, but Jesus tells us we can have life in his name. He says, there's hope for you, there's joy for you, there's freedom for you, there's life for you 
in Jesus' name. Not that he can whisper the secrets of life to you or tell you how to live a good life. No, Jesus is the life. We're going to start this morning in John chapter 11. If you got your Bibles with you, you can, you can turn there. We're going to get to the resurrection chapter. I, I, know it's Sunday. I know it's Easter Sunday. We're going to get there. Just give me a second before we move to that. Last week, we talked about how we talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Do you remember that? Just nod at me. Even if you weren't here, even if you don't know, just make me feel a little bit better, okay? Now, yes, I know what you're talking about, Matt. Remember, we said the crowd came out to see Jesus because he had healed Lazarus. His friend Lazarus had died. Jesus healed him. And so people came out, and they came out looking for a political, military savior. They thought Jesus would save them from the oppression of the Romans, we're going to look at that story in Jesus healing Lazarus. Let's look at John chapter 11. We're going to read the 10 verses 17 to 27. Read this together. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. That's a city, not a person in this case. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. On the last day, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. All right, so let's look at this. Jesus has actually been delayed in reaching Lazarus. And I believe it's significant that he arrives on the fourth day because there was a Jewish belief, really more like a superstition, that your soul would stay near your body for about three days after death in hopes of being able to return to the body. Now, just to be clear, we, we don't believe that, right? That's, there's no biblical evidence of that to support it. But I believe that Jesus was actually taking a moment to be careful to discourage a myth. He's kind of debunking a myth of the Jewish tradition. Jesus, the original myth buster. And then he goes on to say, and Martha says to Jesus, he says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she says, but even now. Recently, we've been talking a lot about disappointments and knowing God's intentions versus knowing God's expectations of us. And Martha had hoped that Jesus would have been there earlier to heal Lazarus while he was still alive. But then Martha says, but even now. Say even now. Even now. Even now, Martha says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. My first question for you this morning is, do you have faith to say even now in your prayers? Do you have the ability to say in your present state, when it feels like there may not be hope, 
You might feel like your body is, is just shutting down. It's beyond healing. You think your marriage might be beyond saving. Your finances are struggling too much. That family member, they're just, they're just too far gone for God. Do you have the faith to say, even now, in this bad moment, I know that I can ask anything of God. Is there belief in your heart to ask that kind of thing from God? That's so difficult. And Martha, she says, even now. And then Jesus responds to her about as directly as he possibly could. He says, your brother's going to rise again. And it's funny how while Martha had faith, she also had a misunderstanding. Because Martha says, yeah, I know that, I will, that he will rise again in the resurrection, in the end times. I know his body's going to rise up to heaven to be with God in the future. But Jesus takes this opportunity to bring a truth of his identity, of why he came to earth. He takes this moment to declare one of his seven I am statements. Earlier he had said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. And here he takes the opportunity to show what was a misunderstanding for Martha that has become a foundational principle for all people. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Our first point this morning, number one, living the resurrected life. This is the life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I have resurrection power, not I can give it to you, no, I am the resurrection. Meaning there cannot be a resurrection apart from Jesus. Dead things can't come back to life without Jesus. And I love that Jesus explains that he is both the resurrection and the life. I used to wonder, like, why are you saying, isn't that the same thing? Aren't those words synonymous? But as I thought about it, I realized it's not because you could be resurrected from the dead, but not truly be living. I'm going to say that again. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. You can be resurrected from the dead, resurrected from your sins, but not truly be living a new life in Jesus. Sure, you, you can receive salvation, but then choose to live your own life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I can make you dead to your sins and also place before you the path of righteousness. It's kind of like sanctification, right? Now, Jesus calls us to be sanctified. What does that mean? It means dead to your sin, separated from your sin, and now being set apart to serve God. So dead to your sins, you're resurrected, that's resurrection part, but then set apart to serve God, that's the life part. Sanctification is both the immediate part of salvation, the resurrection part of Jesus, and it's also the ongoing process as we live and have the opportunity to choose life each day. We talked about this a little bit last week. You might be thinking, Matt, why, why are you repeating what you said? Because we need a reminder of this all the time. And you probably don't remember everything I said last week. I don't remember everything I said last week. We need reminders of this. Jesus is both the resurrection and the life. And if you chose the gift of salvation, you have his resurrection, but do you also have his life? Jesus followed up his statement I am the resurrection and the life, with asking Martha a question. He said to her, do you believe in me? Read verse 27 again. 
She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She is saying, number one, I believe that you are the Christ, meaning you are the Messiah that we've been searching for. Number two, you're not just a man, you are also the Son of God. And thirdly, you have come into this world to show us who you are and show us how we can then live our life modeled after you, the resurrection and the life. All right, should we move on to the resurrection chapter now? Is it a good time now? Let's, let's do that. Let's go to John chapter 20. That was all just the intro. I still have about an hour, hour or two uh, of content here. So just kidding, relax. Your reservations are fine. You're good. Let's read this chapter little by little. Let's read the first 10 verses. John 20, verses 1 through 10. It says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead, and then the disciples went back to their homes. All right, so let me explain for a moment. This is John's gospel. This is his account of the story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, meaning they all kind of cover very similar portions of Jesus' life. But, but John's, it covers a different timeline, some different moments in his public ministry. And I love how John, not only how he portrays Jesus, but also how he portrays himself. Okay, I love how John sees himself in this passage in particular. He doesn't want to like outright brag about some things, but he'll say things like in verse two, it says, Mary, Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Like, okay, John, relax, all right? We, Jesus loves everybody, all right? You're, you're not that much special. And then read on, verse four, it says, they both were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Like, John, what are you, nine years old? Like, it's not a race, okay? Just relax. And then one more time in verse 8, it says, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. Like, give it a break, John. My goodness. It had been awkward later on. I, I can imagine John writing out this gospel count, and he brings it over to Peter. He's like, hey, can you just check my, just proofread it a little bit? Peter's got to read how John's the favorite, you know, how he outran him. Peter's like, I get it. I'm slow. Like, you beat me. Great job. Congrats. But maybe, maybe he, you know, John reaches there first, right? He, he makes that very clear. But he doesn't go into the tomb at first. Maybe he's unsure if he should go in. He kind of stands back for a moment. But Peter arrives, and he just rushes right in. Kind of shows you the difference in their personality, right? Peter, full throttle ahead, just go right in there. John, kind of more conscious, thoughtful, cautious. And it says they both went in. 
And then Peter, he saw the linen cloths, the face cloths, all the cloths. But then John walks in and it says he saw and believed. What did John see that was different from what Peter saw? In the English, it just says they both saw. Peter saw, John saw. But when I looked into the Greek, there's actually a different word used for each of their saw. So Peter, when, he, when it says Peter saw, the English word there is translated to Greek, theherejo. Peter saw, it means to be a spectator, to just view. But when it says John saw, the Greek word there is horeo, which means to see with the eyes and perceive with the mind. My question for you is, are you seeing new life around you? Number two this morning is seeing and believing. Are you truly seeing in order to understand? We all can see things with, with our physical eyes, right? I can see a car engine. That doesn't mean I know how to fix the car engine. I can see a computer error come on my screen. That doesn't mean I know how to fix the error. I can also see myself taking a computer and throwing it out in the trash because I'm frustrated because I see it, but I don't understand it. Can you see to understand? And I was making jokes about how John was being bragging, and maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, I don't know. But I do know that he actually had a sense for noticing things. You don't see him really reprimanded as much as you might see Thomas or Peter. And Peter saw, but John saw, and it says John saw and believed. So does seeing lead you to believing? What, what does seeing do for you? You know, when you see an issue in your life, do you believe that God can fix it? When you see God moving on your behalf, do you thank him for it? I'm trying to, in my life, just be, to see what God is doing and be thankful even for the small things. Like, I'm thankful for last week. We had a great time out on the field. We had, we had the kids go out and get cavities. Candy, I meant. They got candy out on the field. I had a beautiful day for that. I'm thankful that I get to spend time with family this weekend on one, one of the you know, more special holiday occasions. Are you thankful for the small things? I'm thankful for those moments that Jesus kind of burst forth into my life. Can you be thankful for when he gave you a job when you didn't know where the money was going to come from? When, when he healed your child from something that could have damaged their future? Or when he blessed you with a place to live? When he brought a good friend into your life right when you met? If there's something that you can remember, can you clap and give God praise for it right now this morning? That he is so good on Resurrection Sunday that you saw new life bursting forward in your life. Seeing new life. Seeing is actually a main theme of this chapter. Once I noticed it, I, God kept showing it to me over and over again. I wanna show you the next part, verse 11 through 14. Read this with me. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white. I want to pause for a second because it's, it's interesting to me that Mary sees the angels. It doesn't say anything about Peter or John seeing the angels. All right, that's, that's for next Easter, I guess. I don't know. But she saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, 
They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. What do you do when your eyes fail you? I'm not sure why Mary didn't notice that it was Jesus. It could have been a multiple different things. You know, in verse one, it says it was still dark. Could have been as simple as it was too dark to notice who that was. Maybe she wasn't expecting to see Jesus, so she didn't see him at first. Maybe Jesus kept her from seeing him at first. Regardless, her eyes did not initially see. What do you do when your eyes fail you? Now, I'm thankful for the times that I see God moving in my life, but I don't want to ignore the fact that there are times that it feels like I don't see God, that I don't see his life around. You know, we should be thankful for the times we do see it, but what about when we can't see? Sometimes we're thankful even when we can't see God, we can still hear him. Let me show you what happens next. She saw Jesus, right? But she didn't know it was him yet. Read from verse 15 and 16. It says, Jesus said to her, woman, I've said this before, but I would encourage you, men, do not address a lady as such, okay? There are other words, use their name, do not call them woman. Jesus did it, do not do it yourself. He said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. If you didn't know, that means teacher. Even in this moment, Mary could not see, she could hear. Her eyes failed her, but her ears did not. And sometimes you have to move forward on what you hear, even when you don't see. I love that in Mary's desperation, She is talking to a man that she believes is insignificant. She doesn't even know. And you can hear the desperation in her voice, right? She says, please, if you know where he is, if you have any information, if you saw which way they went, just just point me in the right direction. Tell me where they've taken him and I will go and get him. And Jesus replied with one word, Mary. I don't know how you read that, but when I do, I I read it with, I believe Jesus had passion in his voice to say her name. And notice Jesus didn't have to tell her who he was. He didn't say, it's me, it's Jesus. No, he simply had to tell her what her name was. He just had to call her her name. And when Jesus acknowledged her, Mary recognized him. When you can't see, will you still search for Jesus? Will you still seek him out? Even when you can't see, you can still hear him. And sometimes seeing might start when you hear him. Sometimes. Skip down with me to verse 24. At this point, Jesus, he has appeared to some of the disciples. Excitement is beginning to spread, but not everyone is quite believing. There's still a level of skepticism. And that brings us to good old Thomas. The one who we started this whole sermon series with in the beginning, right? And he's kind of not sure, right? He's the one who asked in John 14, how do we know the way? How do we get there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's revisit Thomas here. Read verses 24 and 25. 
It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's, that's quite a list of things that he has to see before he would believe. I mean, he wouldn't trust anyone's word. These other disciples, these friends of his that he's known for how long? And he doesn't trust a word they say. He has this list. He says, unless I myself see and I touch, he says, I will never believe. I will never believe. It's pretty dramatic, right? I'm so thankful that even when we can be dramatic sometimes, Jesus can be gracious. Let me show you what happens next. Verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Believe, that's the third point this morning. The blessing in belief. Do not disbelieve, do not doubt, but believe. Even though Thomas doubted, I'm so glad that Jesus shows him mercy. He doesn't say, no, you don't get to see. If this is your criteria for believing in me and everything I just did, I mean, Jesus has gone through it, guys, okay? And Thomas refuses to believe unless he can see everything and put his fingers in the nail mark. But Jesus, in this moment of doubt, he doesn't treat Thomas like that. In fact, he gives him what he asked for. But then he also says, but blessed are those who are not gonna be able to see this, and yet they're still gonna believe. I wanna tell you this morning, if you've been struggling to hear, you've been struggling to see God, take heart. Because Jesus says there's a blessing for you when you believe, even though you haven't seen. Even though you don't have the evidence right in front of you, there's a blessing when you have to walk by faith because you can't at that moment walk by sight. Do you believe Jesus even when you can't see Jesus? Are you willing to believe even when you haven't seen? Even now, like Martha says, life is so bleak, even now I know that God can still move. Even though, like Mary, I can't see progress, I can't see him, but I'm gonna to continue to trust in God and receive the blessing. Because even though I can't see, I know my Father, I know Jesus, and he has got plans for me, he is a good God. Even when I can't see, I'm gonna believe. I know there's a blessing in the belief. What, is what does belief look like? Belief looks like coming to God in prayer at the first sign of trouble instead of our last resort. Sometimes we get so caught up in the world and, and the fixes the world can give you, and some of those are great, don't get me wrong, but if we don't take a moment at first to go to the first person, the one that is our healer and our provider and our sustainer, 
That's what belief looks like. Belief looks like coming to church even when you don't feel like it. It's easy to do things when we feel like doing them, but what about when we don't feel? What, what about when our emotions are warring against us? It's easy to do things when we feel like it. Belief can be hard. Belief means being willing to stick up for your faith even when it's not popular, even when it's not convenient for us. But there's a blessing in the belief. We have to believe even when we don't see or hear. We have to have faith. Remember, the Bible says without faith, we can't please God. And the whole reason for the Gospels and the recording of the Scripture is for our belief. Worship team, you can come join me as we close. To close out this resurrection chapter, chapter 20, I want to show you the last two verses of chapter 20. They're basically the purpose statement of this entire gospel account. Read verses 30 and 31 with me. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the purpose of the teachings. Jesus' teachings and signs, they're recorded so that we would believe. Believe what? Not just believe that Jesus is a good person or he's a good teacher. My dad was here at the Good Friday service and he had an interesting take because you know, a lot of different religions believe Jesus existed, believe that he was a prophet or a good teacher, in my dad's opinion, he said, you either have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the son of God, or you have to believe he's a lunatic and a liar. There's really not an in-between. Because you, you think he's good, but you don't believe that he was the son of God, he's a liar then, right, to you, right? He is one, one or the other, one extreme or the other. Jesus' teachings, just like Martha said in John 11, we believe that he is the Christ and he is the Son of God. He fulfilled the expectations as the Messiah, and he is also both man and God. Believing in Jesus leads us to life in Jesus. Can you believe even when you don't see? Even when God feels distant, can you continue to put your faith in Jesus? Because there's a blessing there. There's a blessing for those who wait on the Lord. The Bible says God will renew your strength when you wait on him. There's a blessing when you put your faith in him. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? I want to take a moment and pray for us to increase our faith and our belief together. I want to pray for three different groups of people. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, Remember at the back of the beginning, we said, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you have yet to be resurrected from your past, from sins, I wanna make sure you know you have done nothing that can eternally take you away from God. Today, right now, you can come back to the Father. This moment is for you. The second group I wanna pray for is those that have received him as the resurrection, but if you're being honest, you would say, I'm not every day walking out in the life that I should. 
I accepted that gift of salvation, but I've been struggling recently to walk that out. The third group of people I wanna pray for. You believe God, you've received the salvation, but right now you're in a moment in your life, you're in a season in your life where you're struggling to see him moving. You're struggling maybe even to hear him. I wanna encourage you guys, there's a blessing. There's a blessing specifically for you. If you believe in him, but you have not seen it in your life recently, I wanna pray a blessing over you. Would you bow your heads as we pray? I wanna go back to that first group. If you are here and you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you've never accepted him as your savior, this moment is for you. This church wants to celebrate you, encourage you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? I wanna pray with you in mind as I pray. You've never accepted the gift of salvation. Today is your day on Resurrection Sunday. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I don't wanna miss, even if it's just one person, we're ready to celebrate with you. Okay, next point. You've accepted Christ as your savior. But if you would be honest with yourself, you'd say, I'm not living life like I should based on that decision. And today I wanna to take my next step in faith in Jesus. I wanna dedicate myself to living life each day because of what Jesus did for me. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? I wanna pray with you in mind this morning. Yep, I see that hand, I see that hand, yep. Anyone else? Last group. We said there's a blessing in the belief. You believe in Jesus, but right now you'll be honest, you say, I'm struggling because I haven't been seeing God work in my life like I thought he was going to. I've been trying to make time to pray and to read the word, but I feel like I'm not hearing anything. I wanna encourage you, don't be frustrated, there's a blessing. And I wanna pray a blessing over your life today. If that's you in this room, would you be willing to raise your hand? I wanna keep you in mind as we pray. Yep, I see that hand, yep, I see that hand, I see that hand, hands all over the place. Let's pray together, church. First, I'm gonna walk us through a salvation prayer. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept you as my savior and my Lord. I confess my sins and I turn away from them. I am now new in Christ. I am a new creation through you. Thank you, God. Let me pray this next prayer over those who've accepted this gift, but need help walking that out. God, I pray right now for those who have said, I've accepted your gift of salvation. I know the right thing to do. God, help me to live it each day. I pray, God, would you put moments into their life, people into their life to remind them to walk in your life daily, to make the right decisions. Holy Spirit, would you speak to them in those moments where they're struggling, where the flesh and our spirit are warring against each other. Help us to do what's right. Help us to choose you as the resurrection and the life. And lastly, I pray for those with belief. I pray for those that are struggling each day. They're trying to hear from you. They're trying to open the Bible, try to talk to you in prayer, but they're struggling. I pray a blessing over them in Jesus' name, that you would stir something up in them, that you would awaken something in their hearts to see you and hear you moving behind the scenes. I pray, God, help us to be thankful and notice even the small things that you're doing in our life. I pray a blessing over your people.
In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. There's a, there's a blessing for you in the belief. We're going to end this morning singing this first song we sang this morning, What I See. You may not be able to see everything God is doing in your life, but I promise, can you see that there's an empty tomb this morning? Can you see that there's a resurrection and a life? Come on, let's sing out and celebrate as we close this service this morning.